from the festive studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another holly jolly episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Yeah, I'm always telling you not to prune anything at this time of year, but the holidays are bearing down on us like a tailgating truck driver. Is there any way we can safely take cuttings from our evergreens and holly? On today's show, we'll reveal the timing for Holiday Green's success. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, that's right. Potential guests are busy appropriating information from AccuWeather. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and merrily mandated mystifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you swinging your swag right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little later in the show, I'm always yelling at you not to do any pruning this time of year. But some of you are looking longingly at your hollies and evergreens, and you want to make a wreath or a swag, really homegrown greens. Well, I'll tell you a couple of tricks that will enable you to do that without damaging the plants. First, a little bit of book business to get out of the way. Those of you who saw our last show remembered that Beth Love in Zionsville, Pennsylvania had her postcard picked and we were going to send her this book, which I grabbed as I was running out of the house. Backyard Bounty, doesn't it look good? Who wouldn't want Backyard Bounty? However, while we were showing it on TV, I realize it is entirely geared to organic gardening in the Pacific Northwest. And Zionsville, Pennsylvania is not the Pacific Northwest. So I apologize and said we were going to send Beth a different book. And we are. We're sending her Weedless Gardening by my dear friend Lee Reich. Um, no offense, Beth. Zionsville is full of weeds. This book will probably save your life. But that means we still didn't do this week's book. And so we picked the postcard from Karen Ginsburg in Quakertown, PA. Despite being in Quakertown, she sent us a wonderful picture postcard of Casablanca, S signs and sights of Marrakesh and Casablanca. Rick's Cafe American is not on here. If it were, she would get two books. But instead, she's getting a single book on roses. Who doesn't like roses? Okay? So, again, don't send any more postcards in. We got plenty of postcards, but we are going to restart the game next week when I reveal a couple of books that would make great Christmas gifts for gardeners. And we will once again give you a two week window to send in postcards and maybe win a gardening book from my library. Okay? That business out of the way. It is time to take your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. April, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you today? I am just ducky, April. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? 
I'm just super. And where is April super? I am super in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. You are not home of the late lamented Rodale Press, where I worked for 17 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. Whereabouts in Emmaus are you? Elm Street. Elm, Elm Street. Mm -hmm. All right, what can we do for April in the city where Organic Gardening and Prevention Magazine were both birthed? Okay, so my husband and I just bought a house in January, and on the property was a very, very, very large Norway spruce and two hemlocks. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because the roots were so large on them, they were breaking up our sidewalks and the neighbor's sidewalks, and they were causing a lot of mold on the neighbor's house on the roof because mm -hmm. they were so tall. So we did have to cut them down. Oh. But, yeah. But now we're looking to, we want to, we still want to have a nice tree on our property, but one with not too big roots, not going to get too large, a nice shade and leaves that are going to last well into the fall. So but you we don't know where to start. You just mentioned three trees. Did they all come down? <gasps> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they were all right next to each other. Okay. Um, well, my first suggestion, because we've just done an interview, um, with uh, a guy from PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, about uh, gold metal plants, is a tree that I have heard about literally all my career that is mm -hmm. tremendously underused, that stays a good size, is mm -hmm. well-behaved, adapts to all kind of conditions, and is being heavily used right now in tree planting programs where they're planting street trees in the city, which mm -hmm. you are in, Emmaus, the part of Emmaus you're in is a, is a little city, <laughs> and, um, and in suburbs as well. And that is the ironwood tree. Ironwood tree. Yeah, okay. it, has, it has four season interest. It's also known as the hornbeam. Um, hornbeam. Yes, okay. but you would want to get um, uh, an American hornbeam and not mm -hmm. a, uh, a European hornbeam. Now, mm -hmm. when, when you had these trees taken down, did you have them pull the roots? Yes, we did, we did. You actually had the stumps pulled out of the ground. Mm -hmm. That cost yeah. you money, didn't it? Yes, it did. <laughs> but you know the big advantage here is now you can replant. Yes, okay. When people have the stumps ground down, mm -hmm. you know, there's still these giant plugs and giant roots taking over mm -hmm the whole area. So mm -hmm. that would be my my first suggestion because I have heard so many fabulous things about the ironwood, about the hornbeam, just different common names for this tree. It has a beautiful uh, it has a beautiful bark, a beautiful structure. Ooh, stays okay. stays fairly well behaved. It's not like maples or other trees that are known for um, being attracted to leaky water pipes and stuff like that. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. And it has, you know, it's interesting to look out, look at all four seasons. Mm -hmm. So I'm also going to suggest a river birch. Or river birch. Okay. River birch, white birch. Um, there are a lot of birch trees out there that stay a manageable size, but they have what's called an exfoliating bark. And, okay. You know, it kind of, if you've, you've seen these trees, you've noticed them right away. It looks almost like the bark is peeling off, like old wallpaper or something. 
Mm-hmm. I think the white birch is one that was on our list that we knew we liked, but we weren't sure if it would do well in our particular neighborhood. It would. Uh, I don't see why it would not. I see them mm-hmm. in areas actually of Emmaus, if not uh, close to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time, every once in a while, you'll see a cluster of three of them growing mm-hmm. out from us. And it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. The other, the other one I would, I would recommend is a flowering cherry tree. But Ooh, that sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. But they also come with what's called a weeping habit, where the tree grows straight up for a while, and then mm-hmm. the top starts to come down and okay. creates this really unusual shape that keeps the tree very attractive even after those beautiful flowers have gone. Mm -hmm. So the thing about all of these trees that I've mentioned, four season interest. They look great in the winter, which is really unusual. Everything Mm -hmm. looks good in the spring. I look good in the spring, and then I start to get (laughs) overheated in July. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, in fall, there's so much to look at. The great leaf color this year in the Lehigh Valley. Mm -hmm. And... would we buy these trees as like a little sapling, or would we buy them maybe two feet tall already? The nice thing about buying right now is I would check a couple of independent local nurseries. I mean, uh, in within 10 or 20 miles of the Emmaus area, you know, there's like a dozen independent garden centers. There's even a tree nursery not too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, they love to sell things at this time of year, so they don't have to take care of them over the winter. So mm-hmm. I would call around now. You may be able to get a good-sized tree, which is going to give oh. you the pleasure you seek sooner, for mm-hmm. about the same price as a much smaller tree in the spring. Oh, okay. And we would be able to plant it, like, right now? Absolutely. This is the perfect time oh. for planting. Planting in the fall has a better survival rate than planting in the spring. Wow, really? Absolutely. Just make sure you, you know, go online, go to youbetyourgarden.org, click on answers to your garden questions, and type in tree planting so that you know exactly how it should be installed. Because if so-called professionals plant it, they may not do the right thing. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sounds good. A great question for this time of year. Perfect timing, April. 833-727-9588. Henry, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh, Hi, Mike. Hello, Henry. How are you, man? I'm doing great in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Ambler, Pennsylvania, home of Temple University's Horticultural School. I always like to mention that it was the first horticultural school uh, opened by women and uh, attended by women. All right, what can we do for Henry in Ambler, PA? Well, I was uh, interested about uh, how I should treat my raised beds. Let me explain. I have compost left over from last year that I made from leaf mulch. And I shredded the leaves, like you said, and to do. And right. it turned into compost finally by August. <laughs> it took a long time. Let me, let me stop you right there, because that is the truth. Generally, the leaves, up, not generally, always the leaves fall in the fall. And we want them to be ready by the next spring. But in truth, even my compost is generally ready later on in July or August. So right. it's, it's always smarter to be a year ahead. But that's not a sign you did anything wrong. If you get compost in under a year, you probably did a lot of things right. 
Yeah, I did a lot. I kept on turning it over and I kept it moist and all that. Okay. So I, I did apply a layer of that to my raised beds as I pulled out my plants in preparation for next spring. Excellent. And what I did also was I put a layer of straw, not hay, straw, mm-hmm. on top of that. And I've been mowing my lawn with my mulching mower, and I have a lot of shredded leaves and about 10% grass clippings because the grass isn't really growing very well. So I've been running that through my uh, blower vac to mm-hmm. shred even more. Oh, nice. And I was wondering if it would make any sense to put the shredded, doubly shredded leaves on top of my straw. No. Um, now, let's uh, go back. Uh, you, you sound like you know what you're doing, so I'm assuming your lawn is not treated with chemical herbicides. Oh, no, no, no herbicides. Okay. We have to make that clear because a lot of people get their lawn treated, and then this time of year when the leaves are falling down on the lawn, it really is easy to go out there with a bagging mower and shred your leaves that way, and you'll always pick up a little bit of grass clippings. But if they have been treated, especially by a service, with one of these systemic herbicides, the resulting compost uh, can be deadly to plants. Even if the herbicide residues are down at parts per billion, these things are just absolutely deadly. However, in your case, adding that little bit of green material to your shredded leaves and shredding them twice, man, we gotta get a medal for you or something (laughs) like that. You have the perfect makings of even faster compost than last year. So I would urge you to use up all your old compost, um, although don't put anything on top of the straw. The straw can be your uh, mulch for the season. If you have old compost, as you use these bagged grass clippings and shredded leaves to make new piles, Mm -hmm. mix the old leftover compost in with them. Oh, that okay. acts as that a company sell compost starters and things like that. In truth, the best way to jumpstart a load of well shredded and well mixed materials, which you've done perfectly, is to add some existing compost. Right. Then the microorganisms that are in that existing compost, they get in there and they teach the new kids what to do. So that now, com- I, I also have been adding coffee grinds because I know that you've talked about the high nitrogen level of that. Yes. As long as, you know, the ratio is no bigger than, say, 30 to 5, 30, 30 uh, parts leaves to 5%. Oh, yeah, um, no, it's not. The high nitrogen that, stuff. No. So then it wouldn't make any, any sense. It wouldn't help to put the, uh, the shred, doubly shredded leaves on top of the straw. I'm afraid, it, well, first of all, it's uncomposted material, and right. because you've done it so well, it's going to be really hot. Oh. So it's going to compost in place. Now, there are, there are some gardeners who will do a technique like this called sheet composting, and that's where they layer the raw ingredients on top of a garden bed, but not on top of a woody mulch-like straw. And I like the idea, you're going to need more compost for next year, So that's what this material should be. And again, it is the perfect raw material for making compost. And then you've got the cycle down. You're a year ahead. You're always going to have this compost. What I would suggest also, instead of buying straw, unless you scavenged it from somebody's old Halloween decorations, (laughs) shred up some leaves alone and use those as garden mulch. Uh, Shredded leaves alone make a fabulous mulch. They break down quite a bit, but they're still there in the spring. 
And then you can just, well, actually, this is something I should say to everybody. No matter what you use to mulch your garden beds, pull it off the beds in the spring so the soil can warm up. Right. Mulch so when, I, when I'm going to plant my peas in March, I will just pull the, uh, the, the mulch back. A few days of sun. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, make sure, because especially with peas, which can sit in the ground if it's not warm enough, mm -hmm. you want that bed to be warm. So about a week before you're ready to plant, pull that mulch back and hope for a lot of sun. If you right, don't right. get a lot of sun, uh, wrap them in moist paper towels, put them in a Ziploc, don't zip the lock, just let them sit out in your house for three or four days, they'll sprout, and then you can plant them in cold soil without any oh, problem. That's a great idea. All right. I, I've also been using the inoculation, you know, the booster for the nitrogen-fixing bacteria on you, them. You will always get more peas and beans and of better quality if you also buy the bacterial inoculant. That's because right. they're legumes that can have a symbiotic relationship with the correct bacteria, and gotcha. that bacteria is packaged and sold to gardeners. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Henry, great call. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that the best time to lay in a supply of alternative de-icer is before the first icy event occurs. But don't go run into the hardware store in search of calcium chloride just yet, because we'll be right back to deck your halls and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in later in the show, coming up later in the show, later in the show, coming up, we will talk about pruning. At this time of year, can it be possible? Yes, because I know you want to harvest some of your holly and evergreens for Christmas decorations or holiday decorations or whatever. I know I do. And I've learned how to do that without harming the plants. I'll share that knowledge with you after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Ken, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Ken. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. And where is Ken good? I am in New Boston, Texas, which is in northeast Texas, close to Texarkana. Oh, okay. Uh, do you hear us on Texarkana Radio? Yes, I do. Okay, that's great. New Boston. Somebody was really confused, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They took a wrong turn in Chicago. Um, all right, what can we do for Ken in the interestingly named New Boston, Texas? Well, I have been trying to grow some pecan trees from my mother-in-law's pecans. Gotcha. Uh, bless her heart. She has 
uh, going on to be with the Lord now, but uh, I just wanted to remember her through a couple of pecan trees that I had sprouted from her pecans in her yard, Mm -hmm. and I've been having difficulty. I'll plant pecans. They won't come up. I will try to put them in potting soil, and they won't come up, Mm -hmm. and I just wondered what the method might be. Well, and, and Ken, did we get an email from you asking this question, and I asked if you wanted to be on the show? Uh, no, I called in. You called in. I did not okay. send an email. Because some, somehow I realized there was going to be a question about planting pecans from seed. And so I brought in one of my absolute favorite books. It's called America's Famous and Historic Trees by Jeff Meyer. Um, I had Jeff on the show way back in 2001. And he's doing what you're doing. I mean, he's taking... Um, nuts and seeds from the tree that grew outside Amelia Earhart's childhood bedroom, uh, trees that Washington and his troops rested under. Um, And he has learned over the years to generate these from seed. And uh, there was an organization where you could actually they would grow the sprouts for you, and you could grow this kind of tree that had such a famous history. So the first one, which I think must be one of his first loves, is it's a tree that they found out to be 300 years old. It's called the marker pecan. It's gone now, but it was a tree that had great symbolism and energy for the, is it the Lakota people? Yeah, and Comanche. And so this was one of the first ones that he did. And I can tell you right away, it sounds like the one thing you're not doing is giving the seed the cold treatment. So let me read you a little bit of what he says. In October, you gather the fruit um, and it's covered in a thick husk. The husk is green at first. It's going to turn dark brown to black as the nut ripens and the husk dries out. So you want to allow the husk to turn black to be totally ripe so that you've got a viable seed inside there. Um, And once it is black, it's very easy to take that husk off of the nutshell. But you want to be careful not to damage the nutshell. And the actual seed is, of course, inside the nutshell. So he says for every 10 to 20 trees that you want to try to create, you take 20 to 40 nuts. Then after you break the husk off, you mix together, what is it, three cups of water and three cups of perlite. Now, I don't know if you've heard me talk about perlite on the show, but it's that white material that you get in garden center plants. It's not styrofoam. It's a mined volcanic mineral. And you want to soak the perlite completely. And then you want to use, um, what does he call it? Um, a slotted spoon. You don't want to put too much water in the bag, but you want to soak the perlite for hours. And then leaving as much of the water in the bag as you can, you scoop the perlite into a Ziploc and mark the date on the bag, seal it tight, and put it into the vegetable bin in your refrigerator, like right around 40 degrees is ideal. You need to refrigerate it for a minimum of 30 days, and a maximum of 90 days. Then when it comes out, you really, have you ever raised your own tomatoes or peppers or anything like that? Uh, 
some tomatoes. Okay, that you really want to do exactly the same thing. You want to get like a heating mat and trays and a potting soil and put one nut that's now been thoroughly soaked and um, having been given the cold treatment, you want to put one in each cell. And they need heat. They need at least 70 degrees. So it's good to have a heating mat to do this. And then once the sprouts come up, you want to give them good light. Uh, artificial light is the best unless you have a solarium or something like that. When they get to be six or eight weeks of age, then you're going to transfer them to individual pots that are, you know, medium size, not too big, not too small. And in your part of Texas at this point, um, it might be safe to put them outside. You'll be past, you, you only get one or two freezes a year, right? Correct. Yeah, and I know your summers are blindingly hot. Right. So you take these little baby trees in their pots outside and you coddle them. Um, you don't want them to be in full sun, especially during the peak of the season. You want them to get some afternoon shade. And you feed them with a light organic liquid fertilizer a couple of times. And then when the fall rolls around, when we get to October, then you can move these out of their pots and plant them where you want the trees to grow in the ground. And you want these to be big, because you know pecan trees, like to be alone, if you know what I mean. They're very stately trees when they're full grown. Right. So they don't like a lot of competition, and they like very loose, rich soil, which I don't believe you really have, right? Right. So what you want to do is you want to plant them in the lousy soil you have, but you want to mulch the area around them with compost, two inches of compost, and I would reapply that compost every new season. Now, of course, you realize that these trees grown from seed are going to take a lot longer than a tree you would start from a cutting. Um, but right. they, they will be absolutely identical uh, to your late mother's tree. Well, great, great. I will give that a try. And if you can find this book on Amazon or in your local library, it's called America's Famous and Historic Trees. Um, it will tell you so much about this legendary pecan tree that was saved by, you know, just as it was dying, it put on a magnificent crop of nuts in its last year. So otherwise it could not have been saved. So it, it's a wonderful book and it tells you how to grow virtually any kind of tree from seed along with magnificent stories of the trees themselves. Well, that sounds great. I will give that a try and I'll try to find the book. All right, well, good luck to you, Ken. Thank you very much for your help. I uh, appreciate your help. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right, that number to call, 833-727-9588, the number of keys on a piano. Joanne, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you? I am just ducky today, Joanne. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm a little cold, but doing okay. Okay, and where is Joanne doing okay? Um, I'm a, I live in Lafayette Hill, Pennsylvania. Oh, when I was a kid, I don't know if it's true, but Lafayette Hill was the uh, the home of Wibbage, the great <laughs> boss jock top 40 radio station in the uh, city. Yeah, I'm not from there originally, but. Okay, W-I-B-G, which, okay. which stood for I Believe in God. Be <laughs> no, seriously, because they bought the frequency off of a failing um, religious station. 
Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. All right, enough, enough Philadelphia area history. Yeah. What can we do for Joanne in Lafayette Hill? So uh, a couple of weeks ago in that very big windstorm, I had a, um, a I guess it's a, um, an elm, a Chinese elm, I think. It was a, a big, huge tree mm-hmm. that was snapped in half uh, pretty much at the base. Right. And um, it's gone. And we had the tree, the, it, the stump ground and everything. At this mm-hmm. point now, I just would like to know what you know we can replant, when we can replant, where we can replant. Uh, well, you know, if you would uh, if you would had the stump pulled out of the ground, yeah, you yeah. could replant now. Okay. Um, if it wasn't. if you just had it ground down a little bit below street level, I'd say you could easily drop another tree into the exact same spot in 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, what? <laughs> well, I mean, Joanne, you realize there's this giant hunk of wood in the ground, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, and sometimes you don't have the choice. A lot of times, if these trees are in the front of a house, um, pulling the stump out could damage the foundation. It could damage water pipes. But if you have the option and you don't mind the extra expense, having the stump pulled out of the ground and removed gives you a clean slate. Okay. Now, what do you want to do out there? Uh, probably plant as big a tree as we can, mm. um, as tall a tree, not, you know, because we're not going to be there forever. Right. So, um, and it's about, it's in the front of the house, and it's probably, you know, 15, 20 feet from the house. It's closer to the curb. Okay. Um, I tell you that, um, hold on a second. Ah, phew, uh, God excuse bless me. Or wibbage. <laughs> yeah, real. Woo, woo, woo. Um, okay, so I got to tell you that giant plug in the ground is your nemesis right yeah. now. And not only the plug, but you know, those are big roots that are coming yeah. out all yeah. around it. Um, here's what I'm going, does it have to be a big tree? Do you want it for show? Do you want it for shade? Well, I just I like trees. But if you got an alternative, I'll, you know. Well, what I generally suggest for people with a stump uh, like this, the stump is underground, but it's still a stump, um, yeah. is you build a raised bed around the area. Um, for instance, this is something pavers are great for. So you box out that area about a foot and a half high and fill the inside with good soil. Now, for the plan that I'm going to suggest, before you do that, you would have somebody get a really big power drill and drill as many holes in the top of that stump as you can to accelerate rotting. Okay. Um, And then, again, you build up this big box around it, which is going to be really nice looking. It's going to draw the eye. Okay. And then in that box, I would plant um, a medium-sized tree. Um, I personally am a huge fan of um, uh, flowering cherry trees, ornamental cherry trees. Okay. And and, uh, especially if they're of the weeping habit, where instead of growing straight up, the the tree kind of bends over. Okay. It really makes an impression. And uh, the flowers in the spring, of course, are to die for. Otherwise, you would be checking around at nurseries, and places that specialize in trees and see what you can get that you life, like that's available in dwarf form. You don't, okay. you, you're not gonna be able to do a standard tree, but okay. 
But if you get okay. the if you get the right dwarf and you make that box big enough, it's quite possible that the tree will thrive over top of that um, that giant plug in the ground. So there's still you're going a one and a half feet, but you're right over the where the stump sort of is underground. Um, there's no reason really not to be because the roots are all around that. You know, yeah. imagine how the furthest branch of that tree was. You, yeah. You've got roots growing out that far. Now, your alternative mm -hmm. is, um, I don't know what kind of neighborhood you're in, what kind of neighbors you have, but in my neighborhood, um, I could probably have somebody with a backhoe come around yeah. and spend a day uh, and dig that stump out, and then you can replant with anything you want. And, so you need a backhoe to do that, though? Well, what do, what do you suggest? Uh, yeah, I don't. I have no idea. Never done it before. <laughs> right. Uh, if My husband can't just go out there and work on it for a year? No, I guess oh, not. Oh, you really don't yeah. like him, do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I love him, but, you know, yeah. he needs to get, you know. Well, I mean, if, if yeah. he is handy, if he's ever worked. He, he's not. Forget that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, you, you need, need a some, backhoe, yeah. You need somebody who's used to working with heavy farm equipment. Yeah. Okay. But for instance, if he had grown up on a farm or something like that, you can you can go and rent backhoes for the day or for a couple of days. And then of course you, you do have to cut up the stump and dispose of it and stuff like that. Right. But then you can plant anything. You can you can plant river birch, which are just perfect for that kind of a situation, or white birch, things that really catch the eye. Or an evergreen. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the uh, uh, Colorado blue spruce is one of my favorite trees, and it grows fairly slowly. Um, right. But it, its root system is is so deep, it's not going to work in that kind of a a little mini planter. You'd need a small tree without okay. getting rid of the old stump. All right. So even yeah, so you really don't have a lot of options to like going out eight feet from there. You said because the roots are still going to be there. Well, um, now you can, for instance, if you're going to go eight feet out from there before you would um, do anything, you can rent a machine or hire somebody to come out and essentially use a trench cutter to go down and get out as many of the roots as you can. Um, okay. If you get out most of the roots, then the bigger tree you can plant there. Okay. All right. All right. Well... <laughs> Uh, this looks like I got a few options. It's great. Yeah, and yeah. don't forget. I mean, if if for instance you finally decide against a tree, you can make that box and fill it with annual flowers or perennials or just go in a different direction. Yeah, that that might be. Yeah, I have to think about that. That's the um, easy, cheap yeah, way, yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody in colder climates that rock salt can be deadly to lawns and other landscape plants. Instead, you want to use an alternative de-icer like calcium chloride, potassium chloride, and or magnesium chloride. But don't go run into the hardware store just yet because we'll be right back to deck your halls and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and radio at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. How to ignore my rules of never pruning at this time of year to get holiday greens to make your own wreaths and swags. It's a trick. It's a secret. It's cheating. You're going to love it. And it's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Linda, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Linda. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, fine. Come on. You got to be better than fine. You know, try to try to work your way up to good or something like it's that. It's good. It's good. I'm okay. Good. Sure it is. Um, where are you, Linda? I'm in Rockton, Pennsylvania. Which is, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, it's 60 miles northwest of State, uh, State College, huh. Clearfield, Pennsylvania. It really is uh, central Pennsylvania, um, 100 miles to nowhere. Um, where do you go? Where's your nearest, um, like, urban area? Well, State College. State right. College, Altoona. Okay. Rockin' Altoona, is. yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. What can we do for Linda in north-central Pennsylvania? I have a two-part question. One, from listening to your show, you seem to discourage amending the soil uh, when planting. I have 35 brandywine maple trees to plant, and I, what I understand is that you shouldn't really amend the soil when you put them in. The garden center had recommended that we amend the soil with some mushroom compost. I do have a clay. I have a lot of clay in my soil, so I'm not sure which, uh, which way to go with that. Well, not their way. I mean, that's not the worst I've ever heard. But the more clay in your soil, the rougher your soil, the more important it is not to improve it. I know it's kind, okay. of, it's kind of counterintuitive, but think of it this way. If you make a really wide hole and you fill it with all this nice loose compost and you plant the tree in it, why would the tree's roots ever leave this nice island of compost? They, you know, they don't have to work hard. Trees are as lazy as we are. Whereby, mm -hmm. if you take the tree and you dig a wide hole, you plant the tree and you fill the hole back up with the lousy clay soil you dug out, the tree has no choice but to send its roots out into the clay. And it will anchor itself better, it will grow better. Sometimes people improve the soil in the planting hole so much that the roots never leave home. It's like your, your child graduates from college and you redecorate the room with a 90-inch plasma TV hooked up to endless game units. I mean, what are you thinking? You want mm -hmm. this child to go out into the world, into the cold clay of the world, and establish themselves. You don't want to build a womb. So it's exactly the same for trees. Sometimes if the whole, again, is is nice enough, is rich enough, is comfy enough, that tree's roots will actually girdle and kill the tree because they don't want to get out of the basement and get a job. Okay. So, so when, I don't put anything on the top? I just fill the hole back in and I'm done? Not necessarily. So 
the rules for tree planting is, are, are these bare root trees? No. Mm -mm. Are they in pots, bald and burlap? They're in pots. They're in pots. They're in pots. When, um, and, and you need to plant them pretty soon. Right. You know, because it's getting cold. And this is still a good right. time to plant, but you don't want to be out there with an ice chopper. So Exactly. The, the soil is still, it's still you know, malleable. Right. One thing we've noticed about trees in pots is sometimes they're planted too deep in the pots and they settle. So when you take each one out of its pot, even though this is like a little bit of extra work, use like a, a small garden fork, a, a, you know, some little handheld thing and rake away the soil on the top until you get to the root flare, the part where okay. the trunk meets the roots, because that root flare needs to be above ground to also make the tree very happy and healthy. And again, sometimes they're planted much too deep in these pots. So you want to dig a wide hole, but not a deep one. And you want to put the tree in there and then you want to eyeball it. And if the trees, um, if the top of that root flare is going to be above ground, good. If it's going to be below ground, you got to raise the tree up. You got to throw some more soil in there. Again, counterintuitively, okay. Trees that are planted high are much less likely to fall over than trees that are planted low because it really encourages the roots to, especially a maple, which likes to have a lot of roots above ground um, to okay. collect air. Okay, what's part two? Um, due, due to the fact that where I'm planting these trees, it's in an open field and there's many, many deer in the field. It was suggested also that we take appropriated plastic pipe, cut the pipe, wrap it around the trunk, to prohibit the deer from um, taking the, stripping the bark on the tree. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, but what, when I when we did that, when yeah. I was practicing with that, when I go to put that perforated pipe on, I'm stripping the bark, putting it on. <laughs> well, what I'm familiar with is those plastic tree guards that are already pre-cut. They're spiraled, and and so they fit around the trunk of the tree. In truth, however, especially where you live in the frozen north, so to speak, that's really going to be protection against mice, voles, and rabbits down low. Um, deer don't browse that low if they can reach the top of the tree. And obviously this plastic piping isn't going to protect the top of the tree. So the deer are going to be very attracted to this open area. So you can do, if you think you've got a lot of vermin out in that field and, you know, food will be scarce over the winter, the perforated pipe is a good idea, but try to get the pre-cut stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. It's like a slinky. You just keep wrapping around it. Um, and you got to take that off in the spring to allow the uh, trunk to grow larger. But the best thing for deer is just get like 100 feet of welded wire animal fencing and make a cage about a foot outside of the tree that goes up higher than the, um, than the canopy and just stake that into the ground. That's your best bet for deer. So should I stake the trees? No, no. No, they, I don't need to stake. Okay. God never staked a tree and all his trees are still standing. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. You've got enough work to do. You're right to protect um, your trees out in the open against deer and vermin. Uh, but no, the, um, these attempts to stake and straighten a tree almost always go wrong. A lot of times they actually kill the tree. Oh, okay. All, All right. right. Well, thank you for your information. All right. Well, good luck with your maples. Um, you, uh, are, are, are they sugar maples? Yes, they are. 
And it's a brandy wine variety. Brandy. I, I've not heard of brandy wine, but I mean, I mean, wouldn't it make just the name sounds like it would be great syrup? Yeah, exactly. We'll find out. Okay, we will find out. All right. Good luck to you, Linda. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, pruning for holiday greens. Now, one of the biggest bits of misinformation I always have to try and correct at this time of year comes packaged in the inevitable fall gardening story, cleaning up your landscape for winter. Yes, you should remove or at least shred any leaves that are smothering your lawns and or plants. And yes, you should remove and compost your pitiful dead tomato pepper plants and such. But you should not neaten things up by pruning. Yes, some of your plants are overgrown. And yes, there is the odd shoot that looks like your boxwood is flipping somebody the bird. And now that the summer garden is done producing, bloom time is over, the World Series is in the rearview mirror, you are easily bored. Add a beautiful sunny day to that and suddenly you find yourself in front of a plant, pruners in hand, ready to do what you're gonna call straightening up. But the plant would call simple assault. Pruning done outside of the dormant period will stimulate new growth. Simple physics. You want the plant to stay small and cute like your damaged memory thinks your children once were. The plant, however, wants to be as big as possible so that it can absorb the most solar energy and maybe get served in a bar. Pruning stimulates growth. Prune at the worst possible time of year, which is now, and that new growth will be stimulated, at least for those of us in USDA zone eight and cooler, just as winter is coming around the corner. That causes two bad things to happen. One, you're forcing the plant to grow when it's trying to go dormant. Energy that was being sent down to the roots is now spent in the name of useless new growth. In a bad winter, that diversion alone could kill a plant that would have otherwise survived if left unmolested. But wait, there's more. That new growth of fresh sap will freeze solid on the next night in the 20s, perhaps even bursting under the strain. Hey, that rose looks pretty bad. Maybe I should prune it again. When should you prune? You can prune the branches of anything in the dead of winter. Fully dormant plants can't be stimulated. But don't hack anything back to the ground or you'll expose the crown to severe winter injury. And you will ruin the show on spring bloomers if you prune them in the winter. Azaleas, rhododendrons, flowering apples and cherries, lilacs, forsythia and the like should only be pruned right after their flowers fade. Now summer bloomers like roses, butterfly bush, hardy hibiscus and crepe myrtle should be pruned a couple of weeks after their new growth appears in the spring. But Christmas is coming. And holly and evergreens provide perfect live decorations. Can't we use the plants in our yard for this? Yes, you can, but you have to cheat. And remember, as I always tell the children watching the show, cheaters always win. Now, timing is everything. You wanna wait until we're in December 
Otherwise, the cuttings are going to dry out. And then wait for a nice cold stretch. At least two nights below freezing, followed by two more nights below freezing. The actual days don't need to be below freezing, but it's best if they're too cold for you to be enjoying the collecting of these greens. Now, harvest entire branches of evergreens, preferably, preferably, preferably from the lowest parts of the trees. You can cut the branches down to the size you want later. Same with plants that produce nice berries like pyracantha, winterberry, beautyberry, and such. Hollyberries, of course, but this chore can also be turned into a plant rejuvenation. Julia in Berwyn, PA, writes, I have a Nellie Stevens holly that is 13 years old and has begun dying from the top down. It grew well and looked healthy. Now it has brown leaves on the topmost branches. This summer it flowered well and is now loaded with berries, but it shows little new growth above about eight feet high. Can it be saved? Yes, it can be saved. And in the saving, it's going to give you lots of holly branches for holiday decorations. I was given a blue holly many years ago. By the way, it turns out that just the leaves are kind of blue, the berries are the standard red, and yes, I was disappointed. Anyway, it has grown well, but it has defied all my attempts to make it look like it has a somewhat decent shape. It looks more like a broken umbrella somebody jammed into the ground. Also many years ago, I had a guest on the show from one of our local Philadelphia area arboretums who explained that it's not unusual for hollies to lose their shape or go brown up high. And the answer is highly aggressive pruning. My allegedly blue holly has a perfectly shaped baby holly growing out of a low side branch. And sometime during the first frigid week before this Christmas, I'm going to use a bow saw to take the broken umbrella part down. I am assured that my little holly will then grow and flourish. My guest said that they sometimes cut really ugly ones down to a stump, and they do regrow. They might not look great for a couple of years, but will soon be a recognizable nice holly. So remember, Julie, fortune favors the bold. That sure was some practical advice about holiday pruning, now wasn't it? Luckily, you can read the information over at your leisure or your leisure, because the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week. Where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to hack away at my holly if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse, teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please tell us your location or there will be endless emails back and forth and nothing will get solved. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to the garden questions you were going to email us, audio of this show, video of this show, 
audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast, all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with WLVT and WLVR, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Messrs. Burke and Hare. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet, me McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our princess of production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Carlin is running the camera this week. Zach the Taquizneski is in the house. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is not in the building. He's out of town, but I'll bet you he's late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm sharpening my pruners and watching the weather so that I can swing my swag when I see you again next week. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org. The holidays are fast approaching. Do you need a gift for the gardener in your life? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll recommend some books that are both beautiful and helpful, just like me. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.